Hi, you all. Welcome to the Romance in Color podcast. I am one half of the duo here at Romance in Color, Tatiana. And um, again, we are in week three million of quarantine and fighting this coronavirus and COVID-19 situation that's going on here. Uh, Again, the other half, my other half uh, here at Romance in Color, Yakini, is busy fighting the good fight um, of coronavirus as an essential worker um, in hospitals in New York City. Again, we want to wish her love and light and protection as she does all those things to keep our people safe and sound during this time. But in the meantime, uh, Romance and Color is going to feature a new podcast series for the next couple of weeks. We're calling it Writing in Color, and we're going to have profiles and interviews with writers of color um, in many, many diverse backgrounds um, and uh, talking about the craft of writing, talking about writing romance, being an author of color in the industry, um, in the romance uh, industry, and what it means to bring themselves fully um, and culturally into that space. Um, where representation just hasn't been there before. Um, And this week, we're going to be featuring a great author, um, Gia DeCadene. And before we get started talking about Gia, I want to give a recap of um, what we talked about last week in last week's episode, which was entitled Too Hot to Handle a Sexless um, and... uh, for money. I think that's what I called it. I'm not quite sure. Go back, look at the podcast. I'm not sure. Um, But we talked about Netflix is too hot to handle with my husband, Jay. Um, Netflix knows that they have us uh, basically by the hair Um, because we're here at home. There's nothing else to do but sit here and binge ridiculous things such as their their reality TV offerings, which have been pretty, pretty good. So we talked about uh, Too Hot to Handle. Uh, We talked about um, if we could go weeks and weeks without sex for money, basically, um, and how hard that is um, and how you can make personal connections without sex. Um, So it was a really, really good topic. Great. Thank you to my husband for coming on talking about it. Um, The consensus was, yes, we could go without it, especially if uh, Sally Mae was paid off with the amount of money they were offering us. Okay, don't offer us chump change. If you're going to pay off Sally Mae, Great Lakes, Navy, and whoever else, then, hey, we will do it. We will go sexless for however long we need to. Okay? <laughs> um, but we also talked to in the Romance in Colors, uh, watching a romance segment. I talked about The Good Life with Kyla Pratt. Really cute movie about a woman who's uh, rebuilding her life from financial ruin, a cute kind of, you know, simple romantic comedy. It's available on BET Plus if you um, um, have access to that. Um, you can get BET Plus through Amazon and pretty much any other streaming services, Roku, other things like that. Um, in the reading romance segment, I talked about my absolute love and obsession with cowboys uh, with uh, Rebecca Witherspoon's If the Cowboys, If the Boots, excuse me, Cowboys of California series. Um, I hope you all can pick that one up. You can't physically go to bookstores anymore, um, but you can get this book on Kindle and trade paperback through Amazon.com, through Barnes and Nobles, whatever retailer you want to use. Um, it's available to you, and it's a great, seeing like steamy book about cowboys and Hollywood and 
romance and all that good stuff and where the characters, the main characters just happen to be black. So that's really cool. So, um, yeah, I hope you all picked that up. Um, but right now we're going to go into our interview with Gia de Cadene. Uh, as I said before, Gia is a writer. Um, she is a Floridian uh, who is an expat living in France. She is a true Francophile who's always wanted to live in France her entire life. Um, she moved in 2006 um, to get a master's degree in Paris. And she, after bumping into a having a cute meet with a beautiful red-headed Frenchman, she has been there ever since. Um, she's had the goal of becoming a published author um, for many, many years. And right now she is in the midst of the submission seg- segment section of getting her uh, writing out there into the to the mass market. And um, she's also been recently aging it. So that's amazing. Um, her first manuscript was featured in 2017's Pitch Wars Leadership Program. She went on to also become a finalist in the Maggie Awards for Excellence at the Georgia Romance Writers Association, as well as the Elevation of Love Contest for the Cultural, Interracial, and Multicultural Chapter of the Romance Writers of America. I, too, am members of both the Georgia Romance Writers Association and the Romance Writers Association of America's CI. I am our um, CIMA uh, chapter. So I am thrilled and honored to have Gia DeCadene on our show. So you guys sit back, get a cup of tea, get a cup of coffee. Since Gia is in France, get a couple, a glass of rosé, get a glass of champagne, your best Pinot, and sit back, relax, and listen to my amazing conversation with Gia DeCadene about writing the craft being a black woman in the romance industry and all of that. So you guys, it's an amazing conversation. Sit back and enjoy. Okay. Thanks. Thank you so much for uh, Gia for doing this podcast. And let me make sure I have your last name correct. It's De Cadenet. That's that right. Exactly. De, De Cadenet. Oh, my French is not so bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that helps taking foreign languages and um, in college and stuff. But um, thank you so much for joining um, the um, Romance and Color podcast, um, where we're doing a series about talking with authors um, of color and their work and getting started in the romance industry um, as a writer. I know for myself as a as a newbie, as a baby um, as a writer uh, in the industry, um, I always have questions, but I always want to know how writers write and how they craft uh, things. Okay. So. Um, Thank you so much for, for coming on. But but I'm going to ask everybody the same first question. When did you fall in love with uh, romance novels? That's my hat tip to Brown Sugar for anybody who's seen that movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, I don't know if I fell in love. The, the, the thing with me is that uh, when it comes to reading, I just fall in. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't, I don't even know why, maybe just super religious upbringing, never mm-hmm. even thought about romance novels. Mm-hmm. But when I was in college, um, I went to Florida State. Okay, actually, so okay. So I'm a Southern girl at heart, even if I live in France. Okay. Um, we, we definitely have that in common from Georgia, sorry. We definitely have that in common. <laughs> I um, was in the public library. I think I had a sophomore, freshman or sophomore year. Mm-hmm. And I walked by a bunch of romance books and I just grabbed one. And mm-hmm. I said, well, what's this about? And so I 
read one and then I inhaled another and another and mm-hmm. another and that was it. Yeah, yeah. The, the addiction happens. <laughs> yes. The addiction happened early. Yeah, yeah. So you just kind of fell into it. So at Florida, exactly. so I when I was reading your bio, you said you kind of switched professions and you decided to get mm-hmm. a master's in France and yes. uh, you've been there ever since so and exactly. you had your own kind of meet cute in France before we even get started on anything else you have to tell us about that about <laughs> about switching professions what were you doing before and how did you end up in France and how did this meet cute with what you said was a cute redhead See, in my head I'm picturing Prince Harry um <laughs> <laughs> Actually, what's great, what's cute is that when Harry and Meghan got married, uh-huh. uh, my husband and I were, we went out to a restaurant with our kids uh-huh. and it was the same weekend uh-huh. and they were these, they heard us, heard me speaking in English because my husband, he's French, but we speak in English together. Uh-huh. Um, and so we were speaking in English and there was two couples at another table uh-huh. who kept kind of looking at us uh-huh. and near the end of the meal, the lady said, oh, one of the ladies said, oh, your kids are just too cute. And um, it's so nice to hear English. And we were just, it's, we just think it's a wonderful thing. You know, right. you're American. I said, yeah, they're like, oh, black Americans and redheaded European men. I'm like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so my husband goes, yeah, yesterday was a really big, difficult day for us, kind of stressful. But, you know, today we're, we're starting our honeymoon. Oh, and wow. I was like, what are you even talking about? I'm like, you know, Prince Harry. Sorry, babe. <laughs> you, you can try, but I'll, I'll take it. So, yeah, we, got, we get Harry and Meghan sometimes. Oh, nice. um, But yeah. we, uh, let's see, how did I end up here? Yeah. Um, well, I, well, ever since I was a little girl, I, mm-hmm. let's see, I took my first French class when I was seven years old. I fell in love with the language. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Drove my parents crazy for 14 years. Mm. So from the time I was seven to the time I was 21, talking about going to France, always had to go to France. And so when I had the opportunity um, in my undergrad to go for a semester, my parents were like, please just go, just go, (laughs) shut up and go. Get out of my hair. (laughs) Please. Uh, So I went and it was everything I hoped it would be and Mm. absolutely horrible at Mm. the same time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because culture shock. I can imagine, yeah, yeah. So I, I had think, that experience. I think, I think as a, a Black American, we always have this kind of fantasy of, particularly if we knew about like the Harlem Renaissance and people like exactly. that, you know, of these yeah. of these expats going over there smoking cigs and drinking cognac and champagne and just having this blast and not realizing how big of a shock it could be. It is a shock. Right, 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 right. Um, so I, when I came and, you know, had that experience, mm-hmm. then I went back to the States. I said, okay, I did that. Um, what's next? And uh, I ended up working in politics for the Florida Senate, and I mm. absolutely loved my job. Mm. But I still had this like tiny feeling, like you know what? I was only in France for six weeks. I would really like to be there for at least a year. Right. Um, it wasn't and enough. Yeah. It wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. And I had had like my job was perfect. Like the whole, the career path was laid out in front of me. I was Mm -hmm. super young for my position and Mm -hmm. everything was coming together. My personal life was in shambles, but my my (laughs) professional life was perfect. That's how it always is. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And I looked at it and I said, wait a minute, if I meet somebody right now and things get serious, I am never going to go and and live in France for for at least a year. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to have this experience. And the last thing I wanted 
was one way to wake up and look at my husband and my kids and feel like I, you know, I, I sacrificed this dream. Right. So I said, all right, let me, let me see if I, and I also had always wanted to have a master's degree. I want, the subject wasn't important. That doesn't make much sense, but the subject was never important. <laughs> but I wanted a master's degree. Okay. So I said, all right, you know what? Let me get a master, my master's degree in Paris. Wow. Have it be something in the political science world. So when I come back, because that was the idea, have my job, come back, right. come back to my position. It all works together. So I can check this, this box off in life, this, you know, at least one year abroad in Paris. Mm-hmm. And then I can come back to this job that I love and everything mm-hmm. will be fine. Mm-hmm. Well, everything <laughs> was set with my job. My boss was like, totally do it. Full support. Um, so I got myself together and I found a, a master's program and I flew over here, mm-hmm. uh, got everything started and then everything went downhill super duper fast, except the, <laughs> the school was good, but everything else went downhill. Right. Didn't have a place to live. Like mm. my housing fell through. Everything was bad. Right. Um, I finally, wow. after a couple of weeks, got things together. Wasn't so scared being by myself in a foreign country. Mm-hmm. And so one night I got, because the problem was I didn't have a place to live. So I got this apartment. It's really hard to get a place to, to live on your own as a foreigner in France or wow. at least in Paris. Uh, and so I found an apartment mm-hmm. and I turned on the TV and there are these guys playing this game that looks like football, but they didn't have any pads on. <laughs> Rugby. <laughs> yeah. And they're killing each other. I'm like, what is this madness? <laughs> But coming from, you know, Florida State University, coming from football school, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I can either sit here by myself and try to figure out this insanity with no pads on, or I can go to the English pub that I know is around the corner, the same pub that I went to when I came for the first time when I was just studying abroad, Mm -hmm. and I can get someone to explain this game to me. Right. So I can either sit here or I can go find, so I was like, let me go and be adventurous. Right. So I go to this pub by myself. Mm-hmm. By myself, I'm willing to say. Wow. That. Well, the way I, I see it is, that. I I came to this, but I came to a country by myself. I can go That's to a true. pub. So That's true. <laughs> That's I went true. by myself. I walk in, and I did not know that this was a huge match. This was like a bowl match. This was a huge, huge thing. Mm. So I go in, and I make my way to the bar. Because if you're a woman by yourself. In that environment, you go to the bar, you make friends with the bartender because the bartender has it in their interest normally to make sure you're safe. Mm-hmm. There's a female bartender, a black lady. She's gorgeous, with a beautiful uh. hair. And so we're talking and everything's great. There's this older man next to me who's very happy to explain to this, the foreign, the, the clueless American girl how this game worked, this rugby mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was a guy on the other side of me who was cheering for the other team. So it was France versus New Zealand. And he was cheering for New Zealand. The, friend, the older man was cheering for France. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, you know, two rival teams, they're disagreeing with how to explain it. So I'm having a great time. I'm happy. I'm out, you know, I'm <laughs> right, sitting right. in my little apartment. Everything is coming together. Mm-hmm. So then the the game stops. It's over. France loses. Everyone's unhappy. But the game ends. And then they turn on music. Then they turn on suavemente. Oh, goodness. I, I used to dance. I was like, what? I used to dance salsa every weekend in right. Florida, in Tallahassee. So right. I'm like, what? I'm in an English pub in Paris and they're playing this song that I used to dance to all the time. How funny right. is that? And then all of a sudden 
I'm dancing. Mm. Some guy, some man had appeared out of nowhere. <laughs> He's out of nowhere. <laughs> grabbed my hand and pulls me. There wasn't a dance floor, actually. There, there were just, there was a little bit of space. Grabs me and starts dancing with me. Wow. And the, I don't even know what he said, but I had been talking to the older gentleman. He was telling me about his grandkids. And then the next thing I know, I'm dancing. People start moving tables out of the way to make a dance floor. Um, <laughs> the bartender turns the music up a little bit louder. The guy I'm dancing with, he has glasses on, but he like whips me around so fast and he does a turn. His glasses go flying off and people are clapping. And it's this whole, seriously, a scene out of a movie. And at the end of the, mu- the when the music stops, he dips me, pulls me back up again. And I'm like, uh, hello, <laughs> what is your name? And we're talking, but I don't understand his name. I could not understand his name for the life of me. Right. So finally I said, and we're speaking to each other in English. Finally, I said to him, can I see some ID? And he's like, what? I, said, yes. <laughs> I don't understand what your name is. I need to read it. Can you give me some ID? So he takes his, his ID out and he's mm-hmm. French. Right. And I'm like, what? You're French? And he goes, is that a problem? I said, no, it's not that. <laughs> it's just, I'm in an English pub. We're speaking English. You weren't English. expecting it, right? No. And he's like six feet tall, big red beard. Um, like white guy, white guy. <laughs> and he's speaking with a very British accent. Sorry, I thought you were, you know, British at least. Maybe Irish, right, maybe right. English. I don't know. Right, right. So that's how we met. We just started dancing. Wow, that's amazing! And like was, you can, you cannot write a better story. No, I wouldn't. If it's someone had told me that, I would have been like, no, no, that's <laughs> this isn't a movie. Sorry, but that's what happened. That was on meet cute. So after you have this amazing meet cute, and you're you decide, hey, I'm not coming back to the states. I'm I'm gonna stay here in France. What did you decide to do, like professionally, there? Because you were like, you didn't care what the master's degree was, even though you're political science. Um, yeah. And we're working in politics in the U.S. and Florida. What did you decide to do? How did it translate to a career over in France? Because well, you got to make money. I mean, you can't yeah. just write. But you gotta make you can't, money. No, that's not. Right. right. But And then even like being a writer wasn't even on my radar at the time. Right. So that wasn't even at the time. Thought. Okay. But I, um, when one thing that's always in demand in France is uh, English teachers. Mm-hmm. And I had no background mm-hmm. teaching at all none Mm. but they need um they always want native english speakers which is logical and because the british isles are next door there's a lot of people with british accents but other english accents are in demand as well they really want like americans south africans and australians just to have a variety of different accents so Mm. um while i was in school i was working part-time as an english teacher for adults uh in i would go into you know bank and banks and financial offices and um let's see i worked in ibm and i worked in pharmaceutical companies giving one-on-one lessons in english mm-hmm. and okay I, I really for the the first year everything was just hey i'm having this life experience it is great um i started dating my you know my husband at that time my now husband at that time and we but for me really the first year was just I don't know how long this is going to last, but I'm going to have fun because I'm still going to go back home afterwards. Right. Uh, second year, I'm finishing my master's now. I'm, and I'm looking, okay, what do I need to do? How can I 
how can I, you know, work or am I going to stay or am I going to go? And we weren't really sure. But um, another part, I guess, of the romance story was when it came time to decide if I was going to stay in France or go back to the United States, the question was mm -hmm. for me, okay, can I see myself without this person? Mm. And every time I really sat and I thought about my life without him, I couldn't breathe. Oh, gosh. So I said, okay, maybe this, this is this important. Is, this is too much. I, <laughs> need, uh, I, I am just sitting here like, oh, I'm just, let me take a sip of water. I'm sorry. It's just too much. <laughs> but you know, okay. <laughs> because I like breathing, I figure I, I should probably stay. I'm kind of attached oh, to my that, so I'll stay. Mm. But what we mm. did was we had, um, we didn't get married right away because of, of issues with, you know, visas and working papers and being able to stay. Right, right. Um, right. I, we had uh, a civil union because that's it's very common here to date and then have a civil union and then maybe get married after that. So that's what we did just mm -hmm. to see. Because also I didn't want to get married just for that, just to have the papers to stay here. Papers, right, right. Because I didn't want to feel like for the rest of my life, if we stay married, am I always going to be wondering if that's why we got married, if he really loves me or, or what? Mm -hmm. So we did the civil union mm -hmm. first. And then I tried to find a job and I fell flat on my face. Oh God! It was. I looked for a job apart from teaching English. I looked for a job in uh, international relations, the, the international politics, for a good year and a half. Mm -hmm. And it just wasn't coming together. But there is enough demand mm. in teaching English that I was able to work. It wasn't mm -hmm. what I wanted necessarily, but now, right? Uh, so it's been what thirteen years. Mm. Um, I'm still a teacher. I'm a oh, professor yeah. now. So, oh wow, okay, it wasn't the plan, but that's it worked but, out, but it, it is what it is, yeah. right? You know, you know, we make plans and God laughs, they say so. Yes, I mean, yeah, this is the trajectory your life was supposed to go on, and so, so the balance of being a professor teaching English in France, mm -hmm. how do you how do you balance your professional life in? And coming into writing and, and saying, hey, I, I think I want to write. I think I want to, you know, write this romance. And how did you decide one day, hey, I'm, you know, in the midst of all this, you know, I'm going to write, a, I'm going to start writing romance. Well, I had, it was actually, before I came here, actually, I had a kind of a, a bucket list of stuff that I would, like, seemed my wildest dreams. I would, like, mm -hmm. and I thought I might like to write a book one day. As much as I love to mm -hmm. read, I was like, oh, I'd like to write a book. I'd like to be a writer. But it was completely mm -hmm. fantasy, completely right. never, right, right, not right. even by, you know, uh, but I just would like to do that. And I said that to my husband several times and he kind of got fed up and he's like, well, just do it already. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I can't just, right. I have to work. He's like, yeah, you have to work, but you have to write because you, you talk about it a lot. You clearly need to mm -hmm. do this. You need to do it, right. So mm -hmm. with, as a professor, you don't have, you know, you're not working 40 hours a week year round. When there's mm -hmm. downtime, I kind of started just like toying with a little store here or something there. Mm -hmm. I had an idea uh, back in 2008, yeah. I had a, an idea and I kind of wrote a little bit on it and I'd stop. Um, but in more recent years, let's see, like, I really started getting serious about it as crazy it is, is just to make things more difficult. Not until after I have kids, <laughs> because why not? Yeah, <laughs> why not? <laughs> you know, before when I had some time and I could, you know, for myself, that would have been been way too easy to do with that. But 
um, um, the Pitch Worth Mentorship Program and, and how that kind of works well, and how that kind of helps you with your writing? It is the, the big thing to emphasize multiple times is that it's a mentorship program. There have right. been in the past, I think, um, just because there have been so many Pitch Worth success stories, sometimes there's right. a, an assumption or a misunderstanding that Pitch Wars immediately opens doors for you in terms of getting an agent and all of that. That is not necessarily yeah. true. That's not the goal of Pitch Wars. Um, yeah, I definitely think after, um, I think Tony Adeyemi did mm-hmm. it, like people are like, oh yeah, I'm going to have the next big thing, yeah. you know, with, with Pitch Wars. But yeah, it's, it's it, but, but go on. It's okay, like, it's okay. But, but go on. But go the on, thing yeah. with Pitch Wars yeah. is that it is a, it is there to help writers with their mm-hmm. craft to create a manuscript mm-hmm. to pr- really it's for me I would say that it's a boost it's a, like a, a rocket boost from one level of writing one stage where you are to get you to a more professional level to get you to where you can probably say okay I understand not everything because nobody understands everything but I understand a lot more about craft now I also understand about the business that is publishing mm. Yeah, And I understand better mm-hmm. what I want if I want to continue, if I want to go track club, if I want to go indie, if I want to even stop writing, if I see this as a career or if this is a one-off for me. And Pitch Wars is very competitive mm-hmm. to get into. Um, there right. are, I think, the year I did it, there were 3,000 entrants and 180 of us were chosen, wow. I think. My gosh. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's competitive. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was the year that I was a mentee and what happened for me was that I, my manuscript was chosen by my wonderful mentor, whose name is Diana A. Hicks, and she's, um, also a woman of color and she selected my my manuscript, which looking back now was a hot mess. I had no idea (laughs) how bad it was. It, I am embarrassed. Like now looking at it, I just want to go hide under a rock. Um, but okay. she saw potential, thankfully. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. she guided me. She got me some resources because that's one thing I think is very normal for a lot of writers as they're starting is there are so many resources, so many books about craft, so many things. It's overwhelming mm-hmm. to know what to choose. Mm-hmm. So the right. nice thing about Pitch Wars is that I was paired with somebody who's further along in the process. That's the other thing that's important to remember. The whole thing with pitch wars is you're getting, you would get matched up or you would be selected by someone who's further down the road than you are, but not someone who says mm-hmm. they know everything. They're not the be all and end all of publishing, but they know a little bit more. Correct. They can guide you. You go through, what is it? Three months, I think. There's, but it goes by, it's, it's insane to say three months. It's really, seems really slow and really fast at the same time. Um, but (laughs) you revise your manuscript based on what you and your mentor discuss together, what needs to be done. There's a lot of rewriting. One thing that I think um, has created some problems or difficulty or some negative experiences for some writers coming in is they don't understand that you are expected to rewrite a lot of your manuscript. I wrote, rewrote at least 75% of mine. 
I think writers get so offended. You know, like, what do you mean I have to rewrite this? Exactly. But if you think it's perfect, you really don't (laughs) want to do it. Exactly. If you think it's perfect, you don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. But I, thankfully, I did understand. I didn't, now I see what a mess Mm -hmm. it was. But, um, right. I, as I had really just finished and I found out about Pitch Wars, I think through Twitter. So, um, Twitter is a great resource Mm -hmm. for writers. I found out right. about it through right. through Twitter, and I found out I think a week before the deadline, and yeah, like a week before the deadline, mm-hmm. and I had been querying and I've been getting rejections left, right, and sideways, which now I understand why. Um, right. They were correct to reject me. They absolutely had been correct to reject me. Um, mm-hmm. I uh, and we were getting ready to move because why not make life choices you know things happen <laughs> all at once so right. I had submitted my application the week before it closed and then we moved and then the announcement of selection was the day after we arrived in our new city and I found out that I was accepted standing in the grocery store parking lot right after I had dropped a whole bunch of bags <laughs> on the ground um like oh right when God. we moved I was like oh everything's oh I got in okay great but <laughs> what does this mean? I didn't know what I was in for, but what uh, ended up happening was um, with Pitch Wars, you are going to work. If To get the most out of it, you have to right. work really hard. You have to work hard. Uh, and so yeah. at the end, yeah. you have a polished manuscript. Your mentor normally helps you prepare a query package, so your query letter, synopses sometimes, that depends on what you need. Um, and so that you're ready to start querying afterwards. There is an agent showcase where uh, agents who have requested the opportunity to see the pitches, because what you have is a pitch, you have 250 to 300 word, either the first chapter or usually part first chapter, a little bit of a blurb yeah, for each manuscript right. mm-hmm. as the pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the, the Pitch Wars blog, and then the agents can request. They can say that they want this, they want that one, they want that one. They can request a query. And so mm-hmm. once you go through the revisions, then there's the agent showcase. And then after that, you can query to whomever. The idea of the agent showcase is mm-hmm. that you you send your queries to the agents who requested first. And then after a set period right. of time, I think it's a week, maybe 10 days, you can begin querying other agents too. Wow. Gia, your life has been full of like all these like <laughs> these like the, the the timing of things in your life just seems like it's just lined up perfectly. Like your first manuscript and it's showcased in the pitch award mentorship program. That's I was really excited. And, and and then for it, yeah, and then for it to be, you know, having the opportunity to have it be polished and you could, you know, go on to have it being showcased in, in, in mm-hmm. other places and being a finalist. How do you see that mentorship, mentee-mentorship relationship, how valuable do you think it is for a writer, and particularly a new writer, to have that mentorship or, you know, opportunity, whether it be in pitch wars or elsewhere? I wouldn't... Um, you know, to get the writing... writing. It's hard there. to... It's hard to answer because um, mm-hmm. I think anybody with the time and the dedication can write, you know, start off as a a newbie writer and maybe not write very well, but trying to improve, trying to improve and, mm-hmm. and improve themselves and can begin to query 
get positive feedback or get feedback to suggestions, continue to improve their craft, continue to work on their manuscript or change to a different manuscript, but keep making progress mm -hmm. and eventually either decide to go the self-publishing route or to continue improving querying to an agent and then getting an agent, getting a contract. I can definitely say that those things are possible. But for me, mm -hmm. the mentorship, instead of those things taking three years, the mentorship shortens it down to maybe nine months. Wow. Or maybe okay. you could say it like that. Okay. Because, for example, though, I am agented, but I did not get my agent through Pitch Wars. Okay. okay. I took another let's see oh my goodness it took the for the fault for the next year for me to get an agent um but but the pitch wars experience and being able to pop well that uh, what you have oh yeah definitely oh that changed everything for me. that changed everything agent. right because right. i know i would not have been ready so, without it i would not have not in mm -hmm, that time period mm -hmm. right right so now that you're agented, and I want to talk a little bit about agents, how, as it, as it, when you were looking for an agent, like, I, I remember I, I put out on Twitter that, you know, agents have their wish list, but I feel like writers should mm -hmm. also have a wish list in the type of agent that they want. Um, as a person of color, as a, as a Black woman, as an expat, all of these lived experiences that you have, um, how important was it for you to seek an agent that kind of had that certain level of, um, I guess to say, the only way I can describe it is like cultural mm -hmm. competency to know kind of the experiences that you have and that you that may influence the type of writing that you're doing. I think there's two parts to it. Um, mm -hmm. And the first, let's see, I, um, when I first written my manuscript before Pitch Wars, a girlfriend of mine mm -hmm. uh, told me about, oh my goodness, I forget what it's called now, but the Best Sellers Project, that's what it is. Uh, a program another mm -hmm. Black woman has, has put together to help um, Black women self-publish, usually with uh, mm -hmm. another business opportunity in mind. Like if I, but she talks, walks you through, really gets you through how to self-publish. And not so much necessarily for fiction writers, but there are fiction writers, but also nonfiction writers. And in that, she had us draw mm -hmm. up a marketing plan and have a good idea who's my mm -hmm. ideal reader, every detail about mm -hmm. this person that's possible with me, what she likes to eat, mm -hmm. what she likes to spend her money, everything we could possibly think of, stuff <laughs> that I thought has nothing to do with my book, but really get an idea of right. who your ideal reader is. So I had this, I had this list right. off to the side. I completely forgotten about it by the time I was starting to, to look at querying and agenting because that was that was a different path mm -hmm. I started to take mm -hmm. and then I decided it wasn't for me. So after right. Pitch Wars, the um, there's the agent showcase and of course you know sincerely that one of the agents who likes your manuscript is someone you can work with and it's totally natural I think also for writers to think, okay, I'm going to query and if anybody shows any interest at all, if they all give me an offer, I'm going to accept it. That's a dangerous trap. It's logical. Right. It's completely understandable after all the work that you put in. That makes total Correct. sense to feel yeah. that way, but it can be a trap. So mm -hmm. I already knew that I was, of course, I'm very open to whomever shows me interest, but I also understood that 
there, it would be nice, this was my thought, it would be nice to have an agent who looks like me. Um, yeah. I, that was yeah. part of my personal wish list. Like you said, authors need to have their wish list too. And mm-hmm. in, in my queries, in the time that I spent, because I did query an awful lot, there were a few mm-hmm. people of color that I, I queried. And I decided to query them mm-hmm. in part because they were, you know, I looked up Publishers Marketplace is a wonderful resource. Query Tracker is a wonderful right. resource. Right. Writer forums, just to get little tidbits of information, anything you can find. And I will admit, I cyberstalk mm-hmm. my agent possibilities, especially on Twitter. I <laughs> will go down your Twitter feed yeah, and read yeah. anything you comment on, whatever you, just to try to get an idea of who these people are. And there were some agents I eliminated with that because there were things I, I saw that I was like, mm, I don't think you would really get me and what I'm trying to do here. So right. you seem like a nice enough right. person, but maybe not for me. <laughs> but right, I right. ended up with, well, I ended up with, I found my agent through Dipit. <laughs> and okay. um. She liked my my pitch, one of my pitches, and I can talk about pitching. Pitches, pitching is a whole other skill set. But she liked one. I got help with that. She liked my pitch, and then I did some research on her, and she, as it turned out, fit almost every category that I had put on that list of what my ideal reader was. Mm. She was in the same age range. Yeah, she had the same sort of travel profile. Yeah. She had this, her, her background, she was a new agent, but she had um, the things that she spent her time on. Her volunteer work showed me that she was really, we were focused on the same sorts of things. I so, see. Okay. But the fact that I already yeah. had that list of who my ideal reader was yeah. helped me out because I could say, well, wait a minute. If this is the sort of person I already wanted to talk to, this is definitely the sort of person I want to work with. And the fact that she looks like me <laughs> is, is, you know, just helps. but yeah. I, that also means that there's so, there's a, almost a shorthand between us. There's so many things I don't have to say to her because she just knows. They just get it. Right, 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 right. Like I, I had a friend, yeah who also was a writer and she said she tried to explain something mm-hmm. like wave caps to to, to, her, to like her <laughs> like, what is that like what is a wave cap I was like see there, there are little like cultural things that like yeah. you try to explain them to people and you're like oh, I don't want to have to explain mm-hmm. those things you know um, but that's 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 I, I definitely get what you're and saying there is, about that um, so sorry, like, the, there's a um... No, go ahead. Oh, it's horrible. I don't remember what it's called now, but there is a website with um, a collection of uh, POC agents. And there's more and more attempts now to get agents who you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to sit there and think, am I going to have to explain what a wave cap is? Am I going to have to explain? You know, if I say that my, my, um, my heroine was at home with reconstructor on her head while she was checking her email. I don't have to, you know, right. Right, right. I'm not going to then have someone have to say something to me. 
or there also be that mm. the, um, mm. an agent who will understand any sort of microaggression. They won't say, oh, isn't she, isn't your character taking it? She's getting too upset about something. No, no, I don't have to worry about having that conversation with my agent. <laughs> she knows what that microaggression is right. already. Right. She has lived that. Right. But right. if you, for, for right. upcoming writers, right. pay attention to any opportunities where you can find lists of POC agents. It is definitely, definitely worth it. You need that person in your corner. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because the agent is, is, supposed to, is the person that's not supposed to fight exactly. you. They're supposed to fight for you. Basically, and 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 really uplift your writing and getting it out there to like a broader audience of people that may you know not just other women of color mm-hmm. that you want to appeal to if if that's what your writings you know if you want your writing to appeal to other women of color but just a broader audience where you know these whatever ideas or things that you're trying to talk about can relate mm-hmm. to people on you know every different mm-hmm. you know level. Yeah, I definitely get that. So your current piece that you're mm-hmm. working on now, I don't know if you too much you want to talk about too much of what you're writing now. Um, but how during the writing process, I know you have to balance, um, you know, you said you're married, you have kids. How are you able to like balance the, your personal life and with the rigors of a, a writing schedule and deadlines? And, and and how can people um what are some what are some advice or tips you have for well, for balance I really wish that I had a nice um useful answer <laughs> because I know you know if I were <laughs> listening to someone if I were in a, a listener's shoes right now I would be like okay what is the answer unfortunately there is no answer <laughs> for me there's, there's no not um I have to say that my yeah. And maybe this is just me. Other other writers may feel differently, but um, mm-hmm. there are more waves than a balance. There are periods. This may also mm. be because I'm a professor, so there's different periods of the year I can do things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. there are moments when I am almost submerged by inspiration, and I have to get it down. And thankfully, I have mm-hmm. a really great partner, yeah, that, yeah. Um, my husband, who when he's, mm-hmm. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're driving somewhere for, you know, to go out of town. And I tell <laughs> him, ah, ah, I'm, I'm the one driving. I'm like, take the pen and paper and write this down right now. And he knows. He doesn't ask questions. <laughs> he's just like, okay, what am I writing? What am I doing? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so he's, he makes space for me. Um, for example, if I'm doing anything writerly uh, and I say to him, okay, um, for example, I'm, ha- I'm doing an interview for a podcast. I need you to keep the children away from me. And right now, he's entertaining the children <laughs> in the other room because this is part of the writer thing. But uh, for me, in my situation, yeah, it's necessary to be able to depend on another person to sort of shift things around. And it's not necessarily, mm-hmm. even if we didn't have as mm-hmm. many responsibilities, if we didn't have kids, just to be able to say to him, okay, listen, this is this is my job right now. I have to do, I do have to treat it like a job. Mm-hmm. It doesn't act like a job in the sense that it's a nine to five, mm-hmm. but when I'm doing this, that's what I'm mm-hmm. doing. And it's not a time where I can also be washing dishes or folding clothes or, or running here, running there. When it, I need to focus, I need to focus. So in, if you can treat it like a job mm-hmm. that you aren't getting paid for yet, but you will one day, but <laughs> yeah, just you will one day, if yeah. you treat it like mm-hmm. a job, 
then it kind of gives you the, you, you, if you treat it like a job, you'll be able to reap the rewards like if it were a job. So you'll make more progress. Mm-hmm. But I've, I was in a, yeah, I, I totally get you. I was in a forum with, not to name drop because <laughs> I'm not a name drop at all, but um, I was in a mm-hmm. forum with Tayari Jones and she said that um, she treats mm-hmm. writing like the gym. Like, you mm-hmm. know, you get it in when you can. And when you get it in, at least if you go for like a strong 30 minutes, mm-hmm. you know that you've accomplished something. So I, I so I've kind of taken her advice with that, like treat treat writing like mm-hmm. a gym. Yeah. Like get it in when you can <laughs> and go and when you get yes. it in, go hard when you do, basically. Um, so yeah, I I definitely agree with you. And and definitely having that partner that helps balance mm-hmm. the kind of rigors of schedule and deadline. And when you have um you know, ideas that are in your head mm-hmm. that you just have got to get down. Um, I think just kind of, you know, for me, I go in, I get like in the bathroom, like we have, you know, the bathroom with just the toilet and just mm-hmm. the, the water closet, as they call it, and just close the door and just get my pen pad or my potato, even take my laptop in and just am able to put some stuff down. Um, you know, that's the time that I'm like really, really focused and I can like really break through stuff. Like mm-hmm. when I have writer's block, for example, you know, and, and I, I just can't, you know, I don't know how yeah. to get over it. You know, I'll just take that laptop in there and, and just, okay, let me sit with it for a minute and just, and, and where it's quiet, nobody's going to bother me. And those are oftentimes I, I kind of break through that. So when you get stuff like writer's block, do you, if, how do you break through those, those type of like challenging moments is having that schedule and that quiet time. And I think you, like you touched on at least... Or, in my opinion, you touched on something super important that that quiet moment. Um, you you know you mean you close mm-hmm. yourself away uh, and you can really focus. Mm-hmm. I can with mm-hmm. what you were talking about it being like the gym. Yes, there definitely is this feeling of when you can get it in, get it in. But if you can, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can create a schedule. For example, part of the year, I can write from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Because I'm not teaching at that time. And I the afternoons, I'm, I'm blocked. But in the morning, when I can, if I can do it, sometimes I'm very fortunate. I can do it four days a week. Sometimes I can do it two. But if I can sit and write it from 9 to 1 and I can make it a habit, even when I have writer's block, that's okay. Because something that I loved in um, Stephen King's book on writing he talks about the muse being mm, um, great book. I think he said his muse is like an old guy smoking a cigar or something like that. But he said that if you show up <laughs> to where you're supposed to be, you show up to your, your job of writing, the muse will show up too. So that's the thing with writer's block for me. There's been plenty right. of times that I'm stuck. But I'm like, okay, let me go sit in my chair, sit in front of my computer where I usually do have my cup of coffee, do the routine to get the pump kind of started and then just write. One thing I think that is hugely important with writer's mm-hmm. block is that all words are good words. Mm-hmm. So even if it doesn't yes, make any sense, absolutely. even if you're just putting it onto the page, get it out. Even if it, well, yeah, that's for the editor to trim well, down. It's not for you to like figure it out right there's now. That, yeah, there's also just the fact in my, in my first manuscript, I wrote the whole thing. I ended up writing for this, this first manuscript all total, I probably wrote 120,000 words to get 80,000. 
So I ended up, yeah, I, but I ended up with these, you know, <laughs> yeah. you don't want to cut because you love the scene. It worked really well. But at the end of the day, it doesn't fit. So don't throw it away. Never right. throw anything away. Right. But I save it. Never throw anything and away. And as it turns out, in the yeah. second manuscript, the one that um, we are going to go on, it goes on submission next week. Yeah, it goes on submission next week. Um, I'm awesome. The awesome. There was a scene I got stuck. Um, starting, it was trying to move from, it was moving from a, a high tension moment into a love scene, and I couldn't make the transition. And nothing, mm-hmm. you know, there was this huge block there. Mm-hmm. Nothing I was writing was making sense to me. And then I remembered a scene that I had written for the previous manuscript, and I realized, wait a minute, if I shift this over here, these two stories have nothing to do with each other. Shift this over here. And I changed this right. around a little bit and I had my scene. Now, over, let's see, wow. okay. two years had passed between the time I wrote it and the time I was able to, to put it into something else to use it. But it was there and I, I came but, to the, I was sitting there in my spot in front of the computer with my cup of coffee, like always. The muse showed up. It wasn't what I expected, but the muse did show up. Got me mm, past that writer's spot. Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you were saying mm-hmm. from like the high tension to, uh, I mean that that because those are often things that happen in romance novels. Are those some of the hardest scenes for you to write? Like something that's going from like a high tension, high like volatile scene to not volatile meaning like maybe confrontational to to maybe something that's a little more nuanced as far as a, like a romance scene or a love scene is concerned. Are those like the hardest transitions? Or things to write in books for you, or or in manuscripts for you, or or is there something else? It depends. Um, one criticism I had justly from my critique partners—they are absolutely right. And my agent—I <laughs> um, finished the second manuscript, mm-hmm. and something was just off. I couldn't figure out what it was. Something just didn't feel right. I finished their story, but I was just like meh about it. So. I sent it to my critique partners and my agent wanted to see it too. I was like, are you sure you're ready to see it? She goes, send it along, I'll help. So I sent it to her too. And she got back to me and she was like, nothing happens. There's no conflict. <laughs> and really my problem right, was right, right. I get so kind of emotionally tied up in my characters that I don't want bad things to happen to them. <laughs> I just want everybody to hold hands and be in love and everything is fine. So my problem is, I guess I'm the opposite. Yeah. I always want, I always want conflict. (laughs) I was like, I need the conflict so you can make up. I need the, no, I didn't want any tension. I didn't want, and my critique partners came back (laughs) and said the same thing. They're like, is this just a slice of life story? I thought that there was other stuff. Or what I thought was was conflict wasn't strong <laughs> enough. So my my problem is is yeah. getting a good balance of conflict, and it's also because I ran into that problem because I was not using all my craft tools. I was just kind of free flowing, writing the thing off the seat of my pants, and I I wasn't uh, I didn't um, go through and use my my craft tools in terms of generating conflict or maintaining tension, but. Uh, part of it is I have to, that's one thing that I have to do is that I just have to write the story and then I have to come back and apply the tools. I'm not someone who can 
who can really plot. Do you think that? Do you think that's a, like a common trap for writers? Like when they don't apply like all their tools, or they don't, um, you know, listen to, like you're saying, your critique partners. Like you're not really like um, giving credence to what they're saying as far as hey, you know, that scene could be a little stronger. There needs to be a little more tension there. Are you, do you think those are traps for for writers, especially when you're talking about like tools? Like you know, you have the tools to do this. You know what you needs to be done, but I I don't know. Are I guess new writers or aspiring writers writers sometimes can be a little I guess arrogant with what you know they're writing and, and you know don't want to be you know hurt by it. Can definitely it's back I guess. Well, it's your um, baby, particularly when so you know you don't want to kind of throw your right. baby out there to be judged. But I think one thing that would <laughs> would help any new writer, yeah, is to mm-hmm. begin to understand it at first if you can't maybe emotionally accept it just tell yourself uh until you can believe it that this you know it's not perfect it cannot be perfect right away there's no way for it to be now some writers manage that by right. being very careful about plotting their whole novel out i have one friend who can outline every detail of her story she knows exactly what's going to happen, exactly at what point. She writes from the beginning to the end, which to me is madness. How do you do that? Mm. <laughs> that is, I, I can't do that either. <laughs> I, yeah, the, I for me, the scene either. comes when it comes. So, you know, I'm writing something that's because three quarters exactly, away into the book yeah. before the second chapter. I don't know. And then, Exactly. Yeah, then I'll fit whatever you I fit wrote in wherever I need to if put you're in yeah. That, yeah. If that's your yeah. that's what happens. Like for me, for you, then that means you need to come back and apply the tools on top of it. That's one thing you have to you do have to learn as you're developing your writing skills. Okay, I I'm respecting my process in writing down the story as it comes to me. But with that understood, it's almost like I guess mm-hmm. making cookie dough. I'm going to bake the cookie dough. I'm going to roll the cookie mm-hmm. dough out, but I'm not going to say I have cookies until I take the cookie cutters and I cut them to make their shape. I can make cookies in a right. ball, but if I want to have Christmas cookies in the shape of Santa Claus, it's going to be a lot better <laughs> if I use a cookie cutter than if right. I try to make it a ball. So right. you have to, right. I think you have to learn what your process is and then respect it. So for my friend, for her, it's writing everything straight you know, yeah. out, having everything planned and going from A to Z. She respects the process. If she tries to write the way I do, it just completely throws her off and frustrates her and she cannot produce. I cannot be like that. So I have to respect my yeah, process. Right. Yeah, writing is, yeah yes. writing is personal. Your process is personal. Um, however you set, you know, the way you write, um, it is mm-hmm. it's, it's very personal um you know the 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 lighting mm-hmm. the tone. like I have to have certain lighting when I write <laughs> like uh-huh. in my office the lighting has to be dim and all kind of, <laughs> my husband thinks it's bad for my eyes I don't care but the writing has to be dim for me to like sit here mm-hmm. and write and really get into a scene um so yeah I, I definitely get what you're saying um but in the mm-hmm. I want to kind of shift the conversation a little bit to cultural context via storytelling or cultural nuances mm-hmm. via romance and storytelling um, how much of your culture or 
do you want to aim to highlight in the stories that you tell? Um, um, do you want, um, particularly as, a, as an African-American, do you want to have those experiences or those, um, our cultural experiences highlighted in within romance stories, or you just kind of want to be there to be kind of underneath the story, not so much highlighted prominently in the story, but kind of in the background of the story. How much do you feel culture is important to your storytelling? If, if it is maybe at all, two ways to look at it. Um, first off, mm-hmm. I want my culture as a black woman to be as, I guess, innocuous or as um, mm. as just basically there as any other culture. I don't want there to be a, mm-hmm. oh, well, this mm. author has written the story so that people from the outside of the culture can see exactly what it is like in her culture. No, because I don't want you to other me. Mm-hmm. So I want it to be right, that, right, well, this right. is just, this is this world. And in this world, mm-hmm. this black woman is existing in her world and this is how it is. And my first, um, my first manuscript um, that went on sub and was, we had a large sub round and was rejected and I had to grieve that, that's okay. Um, I, um, <laughs> There's almost the, the heroine is black, but there's almost no. Uh, is there? There's nothing really about black culture that would be highlighted other than her hair, her experiences with her. Yeah, yes, that's yes, overt. That's and overt, then overt. The yeah. hero, it's an interracial romance, and the hero at one point asks her if it's okay for, in terms of for her, her family's perspective if it's okay for her to be dating someone who isn't black, mm-hmm. if that's going to cause her tension because his concern is causing her difficulty. Mm-hmm. Um, I had had mm-hmm. a couple of chapter where she has to deal with backlash or some negative comments from her family in terms of dating outside of her race. But I took mm-hmm. it out because I didn't want, mm-hmm. it is my first manuscript. And I didn't want um, to give anyone a reason to say, oh, mm-hmm. this is just a, a story about race. Because that's not what the story is about. Mm-hmm. But that is a factor. And then mm-hmm. also it created, it was a good scene, mm-hmm. but it was um, just a little bit more negativity on top of other negativity that she was dealing with. And I said, I don't want her life, to, her life, black women's lives are not yeah. suffering all the time. So I'm not going to put that out there either. Yes. So yeah, that, that cultural component and the first one that was is really not there. The second one, the hero works in a barbershop in Detroit. Mm-hmm. So, Ooh. but he's <laughs> not black. <laughs> so ah. the one thing, going back to what you said before about the importance of your agent seeing things through cultural lenses Mm, yeah there was a fight between the hero and one of his employees about something and she said to me just be careful with these optics because i'm concerned about 
he's not the hero is not black, but he's not white either. But he's he could white presenting, you could say, you could pass. Um, mm, right. Just right. Have you thought about the dynamic of him getting angry with the guy who's black? And it didn't even occur to me that the other character was black. In my head, he's not. He's Latino. The other character gets into a fight. Um, but she brought that up because, of course, in this context, that's exactly what it sounds like. And she mm. caught that when I didn't catch that that's what I was putting out. There, right. That's what I was saying. Right. Uh, and also the, the concept of a non-black wow. man working in a black barber shop. What does that mean? What does that mean mm. for the hero, the yeah. heroine? Mm. So the issues of mm -hmm. interracial relationships, um, hesitation that a black woman might have about what is someone who is not black, who is showing an interest in me, what are his motives? There, there is the cultural component there. So do you find it difficult to kind of, um, I don't want to say avoid tropes or stereotypes, but do you find it, yeah, do you find it difficult to like make sure that there are no like stereotypes or things just so you can get people to like a broader audience to like enjoy your work? If you know what I'm going to, if you kind of understand what I'm saying. Um, like I, I get what you're saying about the the mm -hmm. um, the optics of things, particularly with the interracial things. Um, but do you ever feel like, okay, if I put in like, uh -huh. say, this sassy black character, or do I, uh, you know, I'm, I would never. But 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 you know, if I put in this sassy black character, if I put in this, um, because I am a black author, will they get? sort of a broader audience to appeal to my work or do you just say you know I'm not I'm not gonna play into those types well, of games uh, I just write what I write because most of my work of the the underlying theme in all of my in what I want to talk about is these novels that are on my in my focus right now um because there's a group of them is some degree mm -hmm. of dealing with mental health and romance. And I'm so focused mm. on the mental health aspect mm. that I'm going to fall into, uh, certainly mm -hmm. have certain characters that might, um, again, again, my agent saved my behind, I didn't catch this. Um, I happen to have mm -hmm. one of the best friends mm -hmm. of um, my hero heroine in my first novel, my first manuscript, uh, her best friend is gay. It's a gay man. And he was based on a real like person, mm -hmm. a friend of mine. Um, but I kind of forgot about the gay best friend mm -hmm. trope because I was thinking about my friend. I wasn't thinking about <laughs> Right, right. So, right, again, right, the right, thing about right. having an agent who um, is very aware of some of the tropes that are out there and things. She said, well, just, he needs, can you make him more mm -hmm. well-rounded? Give him something else. Don't make him not be gay. Let's not run away from it. Make him more fleshed out as a character. And actually, it ended up being quite fun. <laughs> yeah. So mm -hmm. between her and then right. uh, with my critique partners, anytime there have been sort of opportunities where something could become too much of a stereotype, it's been brought to my attention or I've 
and I've been able to respond to it. But that's also why it's important to have an agent who is has they're looking out for, for you, but also to have critique partners because they'll pop they'll see something that you didn't catch. You may not think of it as a trope or as you you're not trying to maybe avoid it. Yeah. Because you just write the story and it comes and it's just whoop, that's what happens. That's the way it comes out. And then but you're too close to it now to catch those things. Because you're trying to write a story. Right. For right. me, the concern I have about right. reaching a broader audience is more that I want the mental mm-hmm. health aspect to be something that everyone can kind of connect to. Highlighted. That's what's being highlighted. That's the, so that's the main being thing. Highlighted first and um, foremost. And right. then after that, right. but then after that, right. I'm going to have lots of blind spots. So that's why it's important to have that support to, to catch me before I run to fall. Mm-hmm. You mentioned you mentioned critique partners. I, I, I'm I'm familiar, but how can a a writer find like a particular new writer who's starting out find critique partners? And when should they seek critique partners? Is it when the manuscript is completely done, or as or do some people have critique partners as they go along, chapter by chapter, section by section? Um, what do you think is the best way to kind of go about finding? I had heard about critique partners um, when I was first beginning to like to put my toes in the world of um, writing forums and things like that. Um, very very beginning, but I didn't know how to get mm-hmm. them. And I'm actually an introverted person, pretty much. Mm-hmm. I don't really approach that often, so I was nervous about that. <laughs> uh, trying to make writer friends. Yeah. Um, but the way I ended up with mine was through was through Pitch Wars uh, because the the mentees have a Facebook group and Mm -hmm. they get to know each other and can talk about things and you end up kind of making sort of friends there and trading pages. I would advise a new author, when you're first writing your very first manuscript, I would wait until it's done. Then maybe either through contests that you participate Mm -hmm. in or um, any opportunity through Twitter because I think sometimes there's a, a CP match, a critique partner match hashtag that happens sometimes um you um try to or i think forums will be a good place to look for critique partners try to get a critique partner when you have a finished manuscript so you have something Mm -hmm. to exchange um and it's like making friends for anything you don't have to necessarily exchange everything right away part of what's what's nerve nerve wracking or frightening can be also the mm-hmm. fact that you don't maybe know if you trust this person yet. So trade a few pages, but make sure that you know what your manuscript is, what that it is what you want it to be. That's why I say wait until you're finished and then maybe just trade a couple pages. But if right. the relationship right. works, you don't want them to say, okay, in right. two months I'll give you another another, you know, chapter. You want to have as much ready as possible, and then you know you can. You can <laughs> right. see it's hard to. I understand it's hard to mm-hmm. to build the, the bonds of trust. Totally is, but I got mine through Pitch Wars, and then um, yeah, I have kind of a, a mm-hmm. small group. There's only four of us in this group, and then another one through. I forget how I got her. I got another one. I don't remember how we became friends, um, but. <laughs> What is work? Well, now because I have built a relationship with these people, um, 
I will send them a chapter or we'll share, we'll share with each other when we get through a good writing spree. We're like, oh, look, I just finished this part on, um, in this story. What do you think of this? Or read this? Or right. one day I was writing a completely different story and the characters decided that that was the moment, what, the, the hero, heroine decided that was the moment to say that she was still in love with the hero. I wasn't ready for that. And so I sent it to my partners. I'm like, look at this, what happened today? <laughs> They didn't tell me they were going to do this. And they're like, what? That's not what we thought was going to happen. <laughs> and then what's nice about that, though, is once you've built that relationship and you're working on something, you have a little idea that pops out, you write it down, blah, blah, blah. Now, when you maybe are mm -hmm. getting into something else or you're losing momentum, your critique partner might say, hey, I'm still waiting to hear about the next part in the thing that you sent last month. Like, I have one critique partner who um, she had a her mm -hmm. first book came out. And she was working on another little side project and she was sharing the side project with us. And then she stopped and I'm kind of mad because I need more. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I am. You want to know what happens. You know, yeah. I'm, I don't want to bug her. Don't want to, you know, put any pressure on her. But when she is ready, she's mentioned something in passing about writing a little more about them. I'm like, I'm ready whenever you're ready. Send it, send it. So your critique partners will also encourage yeah. you. It's not just yeah. to say, it's not a beta reader because mm -hmm. that's different. A critique partner is meant to, right. to be a partner to help you yeah. for, for a period of time, someone you can go back to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Someone you can definitely like kind of feed off of and, and knock ideas around and they're not going to say, they, oh, you know. I don't know about that. Uh, you know, and, and even if they, even if they do, they're not exactly. Gonna, no, they're, they're going to tell you why because they just say, "I just don't like it." Is that or they'll those? ask some probing yeah. questions to to help you why. maybe exactly. parse out what yeah. you're trying to to say or, mm -hmm. or to say why something isn't working. Right. Right, or make a character exactly. that's flat a little more, you know, defined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now that you have your first book going to submission, <laughs> and I know the process is so nerve, <laughs> I'm sure it's nerve wracking right now. What's, and you've gone through all things, what's the most rewarding thing you think about, has been about the literary, well, the whole process of publishing so far? Or, 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 actually, or, this is or my, this is my second manuscript now, that's least. going on submission. The first one we, we put to the shelves for a little bit because it went through the submission and it didn't have any takers. Mm -hmm. um, but the second manuscript was not the one I was supposed to be writing. But the the hero would not shut up. In my head. <laughs> so I had to sit down and write his story. So I, I, mm -hmm. he, he asked me to do it. And so that one's the one that's getting ready to go mm -hmm. on sub. And the best part, one thing that's difficult for all writers and something that nobody likes is the querying process because you're putting yourself out there and you know right nobody I, I imagine it's happened to somebody but you don't get a yes with your very first query you don't get an offer of representation with the first query so you have to deal with rejection but no. i feel like querying was a good experience for me because mm -hmm. it has prepared me for submission because submission is just querying in a different form the same thing mm. so having right. already gone through one submission right. round where i mm -hmm. didn't get any offers um i feel more prepared for this coming submission round uh 
But my favorite part is when I, is the actual writing, the, 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 the creative part. That's my absolute favorite part of, of publishing. Um, I don't have the experience yet okay. of signing copies for my hands. And I, that's what I'm going for. I think I might like that. <laughs> you will too. though. I'm pretty sure that will be good. Um, one of my other critique partners for book just came out. <laughs> and one part that was awesome for me that I absolutely love. She didn't know I was going to do this, but I ordered, uh, of course I bought her, her, her book on Kindle. Um, I ordered a physical copy, which is a very big deal because it had to come from America. <laughs> uh, and I didn't tell her I was doing right. it. And so I waited right. to, um, to get the book and I took some pictures and I posted it for her. And that for me was an awesome part too, because that's one thing that's great. It, mm. If you really get into the writing community, mm. it is a community and there's so much support. And one thing that I would tell writers it's starting out is, right. yeah, it feels it, it is very alone and isolating. But once you get into that community, one thing that will help you tremendously is to remember that comparison is the thief of joy. So celebrate the Absolutely. other ones around you. Absolutely. I can't tell you how many times people post on Twitter that you know they post the little thing from Publishers Marketplace showing their offer showing that oh my book has been purchased by whatever publishing house and I'm like I hate you but I don't I, I'm very I am happy for you I hate you but I'm happy for you <laughs> because I know it's coming for me too but actually right. I am happy for you because the more right. especially it is especially when it's somebody who looks right. like me and she gets a deal that means I got a deal too in a way um mm -hmm. exactly right exactly so and it means somebody I'm going to hit that like button. Yeah. I'm going to send a congratulations mm -hmm. because yeah, it is. If it's if it's for one of us, it's for all of us. But she, um, my my girlfriend was so cute when she I sent exactly. a picture uh, of her book on my shelf. Uh, she uh, she was like, my babies are in France. <laughs> That's. I can't wait for the day that you know someone can say that about my books too. And I know I'm going to love that part, but. I love also the writing support. It was, yes, it would be great if it were my book in my hands, but it was for me just as good. Mm -hmm. This having my friend's book in my mm -hmm. hands was great too. Also, I will admit also, it was really great to flip back to the acknowledgements mm -hmm. and see my name. Well, that felt good too. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that is nice. <laughs> that is nice. Yeah. So, Gia, the last part of our interview, uh, we've talked mm -hmm. for like, since like a short amount of time, but really not. <laughs> but um, the okay. last part of our interview is going to be like a rapid fire question and answer. So these are like fun, short, okay. whatever is on the top of your head answers um, that you want to give to like some little short questions. George so, Orwell's 1984. Uh, here we go. Favorite book as a kid. It is. <laughs> but it's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> do you like writing shows? do I like writing or do I like reading I like reading villains Either I one, like writing villains, just villains who are secretly heroes <laughs> that makes sense love scenes. <laughs> love scenes or dramatic arguments 
I cannot choose a Best book to movie. book to movie. Because to me, they're two different. I'm always disappointed, always disappointed when you move from a book to a movie. So I can't even compare them. <laughs> I heard, um, I think it was, who was it? Recently, I can't remember. But I think it was Jonathan Reynolds. Or, I think he mm-hmm. said that you have to keep in mind that the, the mediums are different. So we just we just got to like, yes, know, just it is what it is. Just don't change the race and characters. Um, my little yeah. corner desk Space in my room. The right. What will be the biggest trip to Japan with an advance that you make? <laughs> oh, nice. Not to <laughs> Book reviews. That's what everybody said. So. <laughs> the last um, yeah, Passion and Ink by Name Last Simone. romance novel you read. Mm. Um, Only if it's music um, doesn't help you write. Electronic yes, study music. Yes. Okay. I, I use. I listen to music. Every every manuscript. Okay. Every story has its own playlist that I kind of use to like charge my imagination up when I'm doing other things, if I'm cleaning around mm-hmm. the house or whatever, I, everyone has a playlist, but when I am mm-hmm. actually sitting down to write, I need, I can't have any words. So it has to be like electronic study music. Yes. Okay. Okay. I, I get that. Like the chill cow and stuff. I, I, I listen to Hunger games. Um, book you wish you would have written. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> hubris. Your favorite word to use in your writing. But you hubris. Okay. If your book did become a movie, uh, who Asad would you want to play the He's a French actor. He's he's, oh, he's nice to look at. I'm not saying it that way. <laughs> <laughs> he could be on Thirst Trail. <laughs> yes. I, 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 yes. Thursday kid. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. Um, where do you see I romance novels going? Think I see them going the way society seems to be, or at least the reading part of society seems to be. More diversity with it without it with it, mm-hmm. diversity being an expectation. Mm-hmm. Not like right now, oh, here's the new thing. No, this is what we're doing. Ah. And we need to have more of this. Right. Okay. And finally, when it's all said, I want them to see themselves. I want them to say, oh, I'm not the only one. Wow. Okay. Shia, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. This has been it's been an amazing, amazing interview. Thank you for taking the time out. That's okay. six, Six hour. No, I'm happy. I'm happy to. I'm happy to. I am so sorry. It's great to to talk to somebody who wants to talk about all things writing and and romance. Kidding me? I'm thrilled. Okay. Thank you so much. And um, we look forward to your book coming out. And when it comes out, definitely we will be highlighting on romance and color. Thank you so much to Gia de Cadenet. 
for that interview. I could talk to her all night. I, I mean, but she's over in France and there's a six hour difference. So I did not want to keep her up that long, but I could talk to her all night about writing and craft. So thank you so much uh, for your uh, generosity. Thank you for your openness. Thank you for allowing me to interview you. This was absolutely amazing. You can find Gia on social media at on Twitter at Gia underscore Decadene. That's D-E-C-A-D-E-N-E-T. And on Instagram at, under, at Gia, G-I-A underscore D-E-C-A-D Decad. Um, you can also find out what she's writing, her process, and everything going on in her life on her website at GiaDecadene.com. Again, thank you, Gia, so much uh, for the interview. Um, in this week's uh, Watching Romance, I thought I would uh, give uh, Amazon a go. I've been looking at things on on Amazon a lot lately. And so I came across a movie that came out, I think, 2016 or 17, but it's called Kinky by, and it's starring Robert Richard and Don Richards from Dirty Money. I don't know if you all remember Dirty Money. Diddy had Dirty Money, but she was one of the singers in Dirty Money. Now she's taking her uh, singing, singing, uh, prowess along with adding some acting to the resume as well. Um, But um, she stars along Robert Richard as a woman who is really into BDSM. And she brings basically Robert Richard along for the ride in their whole kind of relationship. It's sort of billed as, I think I remember when it came out, it was sort of billed as a black version of Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, you all, I can't really say it's a black version of Fifty Shades of Grey, of Grey, given that even though Fifty Shades of Grey had a really thin plot, it had much better character development, I will say. Um, but Kinky was fun to watch. It was fun to actually see black folks in that space of BDSM and not being ashamed to explore those things sexually. Uh, so if you're interested in that movie, again, it's called Kinky. Uh, by um, and available on all streaming sites. I watch it on Amazon. I think it's available on YouTube for a nominal price as well. Um, but it's on pretty much all streaming platforms, but it's starring Robert Richard and Don Richards. Um, as for the reading romance uh, segment, don't have a reading romance suggestion this week because I pretty much gave you all the tidbits in my uh in my uh, interview with uh, Gia. So again, I implore you to follow Gia on social media at um, Gia underscore D Cadene, D-E-C-A-D-E-N-E-T. And on Instagram, she's tagged in our latest Instagram post that's up right now. So thank you all so much for joining us this week. And we will see you next week with another author profile. Talk to you guys later. Okay. Bye.